James chapter 1. God does not leave his people without hope or without help. And James is a special book. As James, as he tells us, writes to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. That's what he says in verse 1. They were scattered because of persecution in Jerusalem. You remember Saul, we talked about this on Sunday, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Christians. That, that's pretty serious things. I don't know if that's on the way to our country, but I have read about some pastors that maybe I don't agree with everything, but there's some things I do agree with them about that are in Canada that are being told if they don't conform to what the government tells them to say when they say anything against the government or anything that their opinion might be about COVID or anything that's associated with that, they have to read a statement prepared by the government. And he said, look, I'm not doing it. That's China, that's North Korea, and Canada has some very similar laws that we do for freedom of religion and freedom of speech. And I wouldn't be surprised if that came to America. It wouldn't surprise me. So if that happens, maybe we'd be in the same boat. But we need to be careful that we don't look at somebody else's trial and say, well, theirs is harder than mine, so therefore God's grace isn't enough for me. Well, that's not true. God's grace is always sufficient for everything that's in your life. In fact, it's more than abundant for anything we have. We just need to rest in it. We just need to rest in God's grace. And so in their trial, he's giving them this. Now, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. If we were persecuted and had to leave our town for, for, for the reason that somebody's here and going to try to drag us into prison, maybe, maybe your husband's already been taken to prison. Maybe a parent. Maybe a wife. Maybe a, a, a family member. And so there you are. You have to do this all yourself and get everybody together. And, and we have the benefit of a, maybe a van or a vehicle and luggage. We can throw all that stuff in and go. But they didn't have that. And they had to leave maybe just on foot with the things that they had and what they could carry. And, and, and they didn't have Motel 6 to keep the light on for them. Okay? They, didn't, they didn't have that. They would maybe have to find the family member that they could stay with. And if you think about that, what if, what if they thought, well, maybe my family member turned me in. Maybe they're the ones that know that I'm a Christian and they don't like this. So where do I have to go? And, and leaving those situations, you're not coming back anytime soon. You're leaving a livelihood that is not easy to just pick up in some other location. You don't really have the ability to pack up some food and go. These are very difficult times. And, and maybe you have to go to a place where the language is different. And so there's all these things that surround us. These people, are their lives are upside down and they're thinking... This is because I'm following Christ. Is this the path I really need to take? And, and how do I navigate this? Be careful that we don't compare our trials with them or with anybody else. There's always somebody that we can say their trial is worse than mine. There's always somebody that we can say mine is worse than theirs. And the truth is God knows where you're at. And God wants to help you where you're at. And gives principles. Now, there's a couple trials that we can get into. One of them is... Because of my sinful choice or my foolish choice. Maybe I wasn't so wise in my choosing. And so now I'm in a situation that I have caused. I have good news for you. This, these principles apply to those situations as well. God is not a God that says, well, you made your bed, you can lay in it. God still has grace for you. God still has a plan for you. God still has second chances for people. Sometimes third chances. Because God's a God of grace. And God's a God of mercy. And God's a God of love. I mean, he gave, he gave Jonah a second chance, didn't he? He gave Peter multiple chances. 
Even though he rebuked Peter, even though Peter betrayed him, even though Peter did exactly what he said, don't do this. He, he offered the sop to Judas, didn't he? he? He gave Saul a ministry and a new life, even though Saul persecuted the church and killed Christians. Yet he gave him a tremendous ministry. So there may be a trial that you're in because of a choice of your own, but there's also trials that we get into that had nothing to do with our choices. Difficult situations that we face, often they're because of someone else's sinful choice. God's grace is there for you as well. And just because God is in control of all things, doesn't mean God is the cause of your difficult trial. That is a lie that Satan plants in our hearts. We hear it all the time. You witness to somebody and they say, well, I'm an atheist. And you say, well, why are you an atheist? And they say, well, if God existed, if there was this loving God, then all these evil things wouldn't happen. So because there's evil, there is no God because he would stop it. But God has allowed sin to take its course. Now, God puts limitations on some of the consequences of things, but there are often people that become the victims of other people's choices. Difficult things that come into life, but God has a plan for that. God has answers to that, and he gives us these in this passage. So we'll start reading in verse number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I want you to look again at verse number two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So the first way that we can navigate our trials, that we can get through them the way God wants us to, is joyfully. Joyfully. Count it all joy. And it literally means to, to be glad, or to rejoice, or to delight in. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I delight in things like uh, pecan pie. I, I do. I, I delight in good food. I delight in sunny days. I, I delight in being able to enjoy God's creation. I don't naturally delight and rejoice in difficult times. Now, when I became, a, before I was a parent, when I became a parent, I wanted to be one of these dads that when, when I tell my kids something, I will explain to them why. Or if they ask me a question, why is the sky blue, why is grass green, I'm going to give them the best answer that I can because yeah, it'll stimulate their mind, right? It'll at least help them and maybe they'll be satisfied with my answer. But definitely, I wanted to explain why we do things we do. And I try to do that. But I found that there are some times that I can't do that. I was a youth pastor in Indiana for some years and in that time we lived in town and probably the first time in my life I actually lived in town. And uh, so when we started having kids, we thought it would be a good idea to look on certain registries to see what kind of people lived in our neighborhood or if certain kinds of bad people lived in our neighborhood. And sure enough, there was someone that is and should not be allowed to be around children. And so I said, okay, here's the rule. We have a fenced in backyard, uh, a field behind it, good neighbors to both sides. So as long as you're in the backyard, that's fine. You can play in the backyard. But you can't play in the front yard unless mom and dad are there with you. Does that make sense to you? Well, it doesn't matter if it makes sense, does it? Because I can't explain some of those details to my kids. Oh, there's bad people. Yeah. Oh, they lie? Is that, what, is that what bad people, dad? Uh, they're bad people, okay? I can't explain it to you. I shouldn't explain it to them. They just need to obey. We understand that, right, with kids. We do. 
As adults, we don't like that so much, do we? When God says, I want you to do this, and you may not understand why. Much of trials that we experience are things that we don't understand. People that I have known that have died in the last year. Two pastor friends of mine have died in the past year. One of them was 39 and the other one was 43. One of them, you know, no assistant pastor uh, in the church. Um, a struggling church plant, I could call it that, in, in New York City. Large family. They actually lived in the church. Guy that loved people. I can say this as much as anybody I have ever known. The kind of guy that literally, uh, he took somebody to, uh, um, to the airport. And she didn't have the right, something, something's wrong with her luggage, maybe it broke. So he went in the airport and bought her the nicest piece of luggage he could find. You know, I don't know, airports aren't cheap, right? And, and he did that and, oh, no, 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 he just wanted to help her. And I think, why? Why does he die? Why, why are pastors dying? We don't have enough young people surrendering for the ministry. Why? Why? Why these people? Why leave their families? Why leave an infant without a dad? Why leave kids that, that their dad was servant God? Why, Lord, did you do I don't understand. But you know what? Sometimes I don't need to understand, but I need to rejoice because God has asked me to. It is a command. Another one of those reasons is because Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You think about Jericho. One of the things that made Jericho such a formidable foe was because no one could conquer this city. There's walls that literally, they were built, the city was built upon the walls. It was the defense. So but when those walls were taken down, they were defenseless. And they could go in. And it's not just that the city that's broken down. You don't have a house to protect you. So whatever army can come in and just conquer you. And as a person, if we don't have control of our emotions, if we don't have control of our spirit, we're like that city that doesn't have walls. And so we need to control our spirit in those times. And God says the way we control our spirit is to decide that I am going to rejoice in this. That's hard. That's hard. Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, in the ministry, I'm not complaining about it. Uh, sometimes the devil throws darts at you in ways that you did not expect, and, and they're difficult. And sometimes it's because the person or people that you have worked with for a long time, they hurt you. You help them. And yet they, they end up uh, hurting you in the end. And that's part of ministry. If you look what Jesus' ministry was, he had two of the 12 disciples. Uh, one that betrayed him that was very close to him and another one uh, that sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that. Yet the Bible says he loved them to the end. So I don't want to complain about that, but we were facing some hurt and we were facing some trials that were difficult. And uh, to the point where... I was uh, reading my Bible in the mornings a little differently. I would read it and I would say, Lord, I need some answers. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to navigate this. And I would get done with my devotions and not because, of it, because I wanted to be done, but because I felt like, well, I got to go do things. And so because of that, I was eager to get back in it. So there would be times during the day that I would just open my Bible and say, Lord, I need some answers. Late at night when I'd put the kids to bed, I'm kind of a night owl anyway, I'd, I'd turn the lamp on and that's quiet time for me, very quiet. And so I like that. It's you know, dark outside and I just open my Bible and just say, Lord, I'm going to spend some time with you till I get tired and, and I need answers. I found myself praying more fervently than I normally do. And I remember one time in my, in my office, I had a, a blue couch in that office and I was kneeling down 
and I would knelt down specifically to pray. I just finished reading the, the Bible or I was about to start. And I was telling the Lord, Lord, I'm going to get in your word again. And, and I don't know where to find the answers. I'm just going to open the Bible this time. And Lord, I just, I need some answers. And in that prayer, the Lord said this to me. Not an audible voice, but you know when God speaks to you. And he said, if you weren't in this trial, would you be seeking me? as fervently as you are right now? Would you be praying as hard? Would your relationship with me be as good as it is? And I kind of laughed. I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. And because of that, I was thankful. I was glad. I rejoiced in my trial. And God said, every time you're in a trial, think about that. Every time you're in a trial, think about the motivation that just gave you to have a better relationship with me. Because we all know, when I'm not in a trial, when things are going good, when I don't have seemingly have great needs in my life, I'm not, I'm not as fervent in my prayer life. I'm not as searching of the scriptures. I'm more casual because I don't have that motivation. But a trial gives you motivation to get close to God, or at least it should. Don't let the devil use your trial to pull you away from God. Notice, notice that that's what he's doing. But, but say, Lord, you're using this to draw me closer to you. We can be joyful because he puts us on our knees. Notice verse number three. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Not only joyfully, but knowingly. What do you, what do you mean by that? There's things that I can know that can help me in my trial. Uh, I like to read. I was telling Pastor about some of the things that I like to read. I have to be disciplined uh, to make sure I read things that are valuable and not just fun to me. Uh, I, I read a very wide spectrum of things. I, I actually enjoy reading economics. It's kind of silly, but I, I like it. I don't know. It's the way my mind works. But I also like reading biographies. I love biographies, missionary biographies, and another uh, little, uh, what do they call those, like, you know, guilty pleasure, I guess. I guess that's the term I'm looking for is military biographies, specifically special forces. I love it. And, and one of the reasons I like it is because of the training. You know, I read about their training and as I read about what they willingly put themselves through and, and determine, I'm going to do this, uh, I think my life's not so bad. <laughs> you know, it's not so bad because I don't have people trying to torture me and uh, enjoy it so that I'll try to quit. I'm not into that. But I found out that if you want to be a Navy SEAL, they will actually say, here's some things you should know first. There's some websites to go to. There's books to read uh, that they'll say, read these things. And it's not stuff that they necessarily produce, but people that have been SEALs have produced them. Or there was a reporter that kind of embedded himself as a former SEAL, I think, embedded himself with them and went through with a certain class and explained some things. And it helps you be prepared so that when you get there, if you're the kind of person that needs to graduate, this will help you. Or if you're the person that shouldn't graduate, you might not even sign up for it because they say it's amazing how many people sign up for this and then they realize this is not what I thought it was. And I can't uh, imagine that, but uh, they say the first hour of the first day of nine months of training, the first hour, first day, five o'clock in the morning, you're going to be running into cold water and rolling around in the sand and doing flipper kicks, laying on your back and flipping your legs up and, up and down. And in the midst of all that, You'll do 500 push-ups in the first hour or you'll go home. 500 push-ups. You better be ready for that. That's a lot of push-ups. Uh, so what they're saying is, you better, you better be ready for this or we don't want you. And some of the things that they'll do, they figure, 
Uh, you know, if you're going to quit from this, you're quit in war. One of those things is if you're, they'll inspect your barracks. And some of the guys say, you never pass. You literally never pass, no matter how good you are. Sometimes you'll have everything perfect, and they'll say, it's messed up. You'll go in, and they messed it up. But they'll say, because it's not the way it should be, you fail. Some guys say, that's not fair. We keep trying this. We keep doing this. We keep doing it exactly like they say. And yet, we have to you know, do extra whatever because they say it wasn't right. That's not fair. And so they quit because they feel like they're being mistreated. You know what they say? War is not fair. You're going to feel mistreated in war. When your buddy dies, you don't think it's fair. You're going to quit then. So we'd rather you quit now. You know, as you read that, you can find out, okay, be prepared for 500 push-ups. Be prepared to be treated unfairly. Be prepared for some difficulty so that when you're there, hey, no problem. No problem. I get it done. I get it done. Oh, oh you're going to treat me unfair? Roger that. <laughs> we'll do it. You know, we'll, we'll get through it. Because what you know helps you to get through it. There's some things in your trial that you can know that'll help you get through it. This verse gives us some of those things. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith. Okay, who's doing the trying? It's not the devil. He doesn't want your faith proved. It's not the world. They don't care. It's God. God is the one working on you in your trial. Isn't that good news? You're not left alone. You might feel like it. Job said, I go forward and he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand and on the right hand where he doth work, but I cannot find him. But he does say this, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Right. What is he saying? I, I, he said in the beginning of that chapter, I have looked for God and if I found him, I would fill my mouth with arguments. I'd say, Lord, why am I here? I need some answers. I can't find God, but I know he's here because I know that it is him. In fact, at the end of that chapter, he says, many th such things are appointed for me. And that which is in God's mind, that he will do. God is doing something very specific in our lives, in our trials, and we have to trust him for that. Yeah. Now, whether or not I see it, God is doing some work. And what is that work? The trying of my faith. Every trial, no matter what it is, is about your faith. It's about you trusting God. Somebody has described faith as your gaze upon God. Others have described it as your grip upon God. I don't, I don't care what helps you, but I like that grip. Yeah. I'm going to hold on to the Lord. Think of a, the, the shield of faith. You know, that shield, if it were the size of this church building, well, that's a big shield, but you can't really move it, can you? It really doesn't matter. Somebody can just walk around the outside of that shield because you can't move it. But if it's small... It's gonna, you may have some fiery darts of the devil. He may be swinging some sword at you. But you have to hold that shield up as long as you possibly can. When that shield comes down, that's when you're in danger. Keep that shield of faith up. Keep that grip on faith. That trust in God. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. I, I can't see it. Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know why. I don't know the answer. I don't know how long. I don't know any of these things, but God, I'm going to trust you. It is the trying of my faith. My pastor's wife in Indiana was diagnosed with cancer, and in the midst of that, she comes home and she said, well, the test came out positive. And in the, in, it, before the sentence ended, she said this, but I know that God has something in this for me. That's the right perspective. 
That's the right perspective. That God is doing something. That it is my faith that is being worked on. That he that has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Christ. Until the day that he returns. I don't know when that is. I don't necessarily know all those trials. But I know that I can trust him. Because he is the one that is working on me. Can you trust him? You can. He is working on you. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Not only joyfully, not only knowingly, but also patiently. This is the one you hoped I didn't get to. Patiently. Nobody likes patience. We like to have it, but none of us feel like we actually do. And the time that we actually do we're going to be shown that we actually don't, right? There's certain things we can be patient for. Uh, we, maybe we can be patient with, with little kids, or maybe we can be patient with somebody else, but then when we drive in traffic and that guy cuts us off, right, then I'm not patient anymore, you know? Or, or the guy, for me, in, in North Carolina, it's kind of this way, people pull out in front of you, and you think, well, you, if you just waited, and then they drive 10 miles an hour under the speed limit on roads that you cannot pass them on, and I'm thinking, why, why have you done this? You know, are you, were you waiting for me? Are you mad at me that you're going to do this? Uh, and I don't know what it's like here. But uh, in, in North Carolina, uh, we have this place called the Department of Motor Vehicles. We also have a place called the License Branch. And in most states, I think those are the same location, right? Where you go in and you can get everything done with your vehicle. You can get your driver's license. You get your tags. You get your title work all done. And that's great. When we lived in Indiana, it was wonderful. You did a, a lot of stuff you could do online. I, I don't know if I ever spent more than 20 minutes in there that, that was unreasonable time. But in, in North Carolina, you're almost always going to spend more than 20 minutes in line. In fact, it's to the point where it's like, you talk to people, when can I go? It's a good time. And uh, I was told, if you show up when they open in the morning, you should be fine. So I thought, huh, I'll, I'll beat the rush. I'll be there half an hour before they open in the morning. And I did. And there was like 25 other people that thought the same thing. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, how, how do you... And then when you finally get through the line, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, the guy that I talk to hates me, and he's never met me before, right? Or he hates his job so much that he hates everything that touches it. And then, you know, what do you want? Well, I, I just, my, a license? That's really all, you know, and you give him the paperwork for your entire life. You know, marriage license birth certificate and all these things and they look at you and they say you're lacking one piece of information after I waited in line for an hour and and you know now I gotta go through all this process again because I didn't have the right piece of information you know frustrating I lack patience in those situations I lack patience when the doctor says hey your appointments at 940 so I'm like great this happened to me this two weeks ago so I'm like great I'll show up at 915 and get my paperwork all filled out and all those things so I did, and I'm ready to go. Nobody else, one, one person in the whole office besides me, that person goes in not too long. I'm like, well, I can't be, there's hardly any cars in the parking lot, right? They gotta be. I still had to wait past my appointment time, right? And then you go in the doctor's office and, and you talk to the nurse and then she leaves and you gotta wait for the doctor again. Like, what are you doing, right? Do you have too many patients? I, that, if you're a doctor, I'm sorry, don't. If I show up late, you make me pay, right? Can we have a little bit of reciprocation? It, I just, I just, I, I struggle with patience. Now, when I was younger, I thought, when I'm older, I will know how to wait. 
<laughs> I just saw older people and I thought, yeah, they know how to wait. I'll, I'll learn this skill. I used to think that patience was the ability to wait. And although you might think so, it, it actually isn't. Patience is the ability to wait with the right attitude. The right attitude. And the attitude that God wants us to have is this. Long, Lord, as long as I'm in this situation, I trust you. As long as I'm in this situation, I'm going to obey you. As long as I'm in this situation, I'm okay with it. That's hard. But God gives you grace to be able to go through it. As Paul said, I besought the Lord three times that he would take this thorn in the flesh away from me. And the Lord said, I'm not going to do that. But my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, therefore, I will rather glory in my weakness, in my infirmity, so that God's power is on me. Great. If, if, if this is what God gets glory from and his power can be evident in my life because of a weakness, well then, then bring it on. Lord, I'm just going to trust you for that. That I know that your presence is with me in a special way. But that's being patient. That's being patient. We had this lady in our church. And we gave it, she gave a testimony one night at, at our church. And the background that, that I'll give you is, when I first came to the church, she was a lady playing the piano for our choir, for our congregationals. And I noticed that uh, her left hand was a little different. And uh, so come to find out that just that spring, we came in July, just that spring, she had been helping a man in the church build his barn. She's, she's actually a good builder. And uh, her, her full-time job, she's a nurse in the, in the emergency room. So she's very skilled in a lot of different things. And she said, you know, I, I broke a rule that I have, personal rule, it's a rule that everybody should have. I was wearing loose clothes and I was using a circular saw and I got the part of my clothes in that circular saw and it took off across my arm. And it was, there was quite a, a scar there. She said, they told me I'd never be able to use my left hand again, but she can play. It's a little awkward, but she can play still with her left hand. And uh, so that's one thing that went on in her life. Um, when she had three children, uh, her husband was a doctor in the ER and some, some crazy guy came into the emergency room and, and had a gun with him and shot just randomly and her husband was one of the people that got hit and he died right there in the emergency room and she's a mom of three kids top that off one of the kids the youngest one had uh, major kidney issues had to have a replacement and uh, and so has had health issues the rest of his life since then uh, just a lot of other there's other things that have gone on in her life but she gave a testimony in service we were not far from her and she raised her hand and she said just want to give a testimony to this that it's all she said God loves me, and God has the right to do anything he wants to with me. You're not going to find that in a theological dictionary for sovereignty, but for a personal perspective of what sovereignty is, that's what we should have. That God loves me, and God has the right to do anything he wants to. He does. He's got the right to do anything he wants to with us. But that she put that tagline on there that God loves me. God cares about me. And from my perspective, it might look bad. It might look mean. It might look cruel. But it's not. God has a plan for me and my life. And God is doing something with me. And maybe to use me in a greater way, I have to go through something difficult. But if that's what it takes for God to be able to use me in a great way, then she is saying, so be it. Lord, I'll rejoice in it. 
I'll be patient in it because I know that you care about me. I don't know what your life is. I don't know what you're going through. I know that everyone's life has things in it because I know that God is working individually in every person's life because he cares about you as much as he does as anybody else. And what he's asking you to do tonight is to be patient and joyful because he cares and he's working on you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, As God has spoken to you, you know more than anybody else what he said to you. And maybe you've been impatient with him. Maybe you've been upset at the circumstances in your life. But God is asking you today to be patient and to trust him. Will you do that? I'm not even going to ask for a raise of hands. What I am going to ask is that you make a commitment to God. Whatever he's asked you to do, maybe it is to confess to him, Lord, I've been impatient. Lord, I haven't trusted you, but I'm going to place my trust back in you. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to need the help. I'm going to need the help. But God, I'm going to do that tonight. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet as the hymn of invitation begins to play? As you stand, maybe you just need to spend some time talking to the Lord. Lord, here's where I am. And Lord, as much as I'd like to be out of this trial, whatever you want, that's what I want. Lord, if I've not been what you want me to be, Lord, make me into that. I'm willing now. Make me moldable in your hands. Make me what you want me to be so that maybe you can use me to help somebody else. You can use me to bring glory to you so that somebody else can know who you are. But Lord, I'm, I'm okay with that now.